Friday. That is uh, Spotlight by Jesse Ware on ABC Radio. You're with Rod Quinn. Uh, we are going to cross to Boston in just a moment and talk to Celeste Katz. Now, because of the way this system is uh, set up at the moment, I'm just going to have to cross my fingers that we've got Celeste there. Everything will be all right. And uh, when I say hello to her, she will answer. I speak to give a bit of a lead in so that she knows we're about to do it. And Celeste Katz in Boston. Celeste, a very good morning. Welcome to Overnights. Good morning. Fantastic. I mean, sometimes all I can say, technology defeats me. And sometimes it works, and I'm glad that it has this morning. So thank you very, very much. And I apologise that we have gone straight to air with you, Celeste, rather than having a quick chit-chat beforehand, which is what we occasionally do. How are you, Celeste? Okay. <laughs> How good was that? It went well for a moment. You know, knock on wood, oh, okay. uh, so far so good. I'm pleased to hear that. All righty. Now, um, all sorts of very strange things happening. It's been an awful week, in fact, in the United States with, um, you know, a couple of, well, in fact, you know, one uh, riots in Minneapolis, basically, because of uh, the death of yet another... Um, African-American at the hands of the police. Um, How serious is this going to be, do you think? I think it's very serious. I think that um, if you've seen any of the footage, uh, you know, the reports, the written reports are one thing, but seeing the actual footage, which is extremely upsetting uh, to watch, I found it exceptionally disturbing to watch. But you are seeing a man being held down on the ground by a police officer. Uh, The officer has his knee on the man's throat and the guy is saying he can't breathe. He's pleading with anybody to help him. He's not getting any help. And um, he's taken away in an ambulance eventually, and he, and he dies. It, no pulse. And just it's it's a shocking thing. And it's, it's very tragic. And it's no surprise that people are in the streets over this. There have been uh, a number of cases like this. And I think that uh, uh, Mr. Floyd's name is going to go uh, on this very frightening uh, and growing roster of people who have been who have been um, injured or killed in in interactions with the police in the United States. What happens then in a situation like this when I understand riots break up? There's there is a huge feeling of discontent. It's one way of putting it. But then all of a sudden it goes from a riot to looting stores that have absolutely nothing to do with this situation, people looting Target stores or Kmart or whatever, a whole lot of stores. I mean, that is unjustified in any situation, surely. Yeah, I think that sometimes what you have, and it's really unfortunate for the people who are trying to do the work of of protesting and demonstrating and bringing attention to an issue uh, like police community relations, it doesn't help them that there are sometimes people who who work their way into a group or into a large gathering and they're not behaving peacefully, they're not demonstrating in an orderly way, they're not keeping to sort of designated routes for marches and things like that. I mean, there are going to be people who, who are... Uh, you know, wrongdoers that get into these groups and they give the entire group um, 
uh, a bad name. They give this, this entire movement, uh, in this case, about uh, police brutality, um, a bad name because then people can look at it and on television they say, well, this isn't really about people wanting to uh, explain that the police are brutalizing certain portions of the population. These are people who just want to go out and wreck stuff yeah. and hurt people and steal. And so, unfortunately, all those things sometimes get conflated. And I think that's really aggravating for the people who are legitimately out there carrying signs, wearing masks, uh, and trying to make a larger point about about people being victimized. One of our texters says, will this be as big as Rodney King? For some reason, this has, I mean, I don't think it's going to be as big as Rodney King, but, I mean, because that was an entire city, it seemed, was on fire. But how do you, can you compare it with that? I think that, I mean, it, it's it's sort of hard to tell. I think that, uh, this issue has been something that has been simmering in the United States for a long time. Again, there are uh, there are uh, a very there's a very long list of names of people who have died in these confrontations. Uh, in this case, particularly, there's video that shows that uh, during the arrest, this gentleman was not resisting the police. He was not uh, acting up. He wasn't fighting. He was going quietly. He was. Uh, pulled over in a car stop, taken out of the car and handcuffed. And then the next thing you see is he's down on the ground, essentially, you know, pleading for his life. So in terms of whether this is going to end up sort of in the pantheon of of civil unrest that's been spurred by things like, uh, you know, what happened with Rodney King, it, it's hard to say, it's hard to make a comparison because each case is different. But uh, this this issue is certainly at a boiling point. And yet again, you know, we hear police saying, oh, no, he was resisting arrest. The film footage comes out that shows that he was not doing that, at least not that we've seen so far. And, you know, we hear all the stories that are... I mean, this, I think Will Smith was uh, tweeting about this. He said, you know, it's not happening. It's not. People are saying, why is it happening now? Well, it's always been happening. It's just now it's being filmed. And that's the thing that's going on. Now, let's get to President Trump, shall we? He has threatened to close down social media platforms this is after twitter has uh, now put a little link to at least one of his uh, tweets uh, fact checking his uh, i think his comments about uh, mail fraud or voter fraud uh, through the mail through voting by mail Exactly. He has uh, been for a long time trying to stir up uh, this idea, which is frankly an insinuation. There is not evidence for it, but he wants to uh, to get people spun up about the idea that because a lot of states are looking at increasing voting by mail in the 2020 election, that this makes the entire system subject to massive fraud, that people will be filling out these mail ballots and sending them in, that they won't be legitimate, that there'll be essentially ballot box stuffing, or that people will be uh, coerced in using their mail vote to support a certain candidate, presumably not Donald Trump, because he's the one who's getting upset about it. Um, and what we have seen, I've, this is something that I personally have covered for a very long time. I've spent years reporting on voting law, election administration, and so on. As a matter of fact, I'm uh, in contract to write an ebook about the voting mm. machine industry. Mm. And I can tell you that there is just not widespread evidence of widespread fraud in voting by mail. A lot of states vote that way completely. You know, there's a growing number of states that are easing restrictions on it. Uh, the military and American citizens overseas vote this way, and there just is not 
anything to show in any study um, uh, with uh, large-scale legitimacy that this is a problem. But Donald Trump has been putting this information out repeatedly uh, through social media, especially since his rallies have been cut back thanks to the pandemic. This is a big part of how he continues to communicate. And uh, finally, uh, Twitter put a warning, sort of a click-through warning. They say, get the facts about about voter about voting here, about voting by mail. Um, and when you click through, you get media stories saying basically there's no grounds for him to be saying this. And so he's striking back with an executive order that goes after social media platforms in a very specific way. Basically, in the United States, the short story is that there are protections for social media platforms uh, from regulators uh, about the kind of content that's allowed and how they control content. And so he wants to remove some of the protections that uh, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Google, those kinds of things have um, from what's what's populated on their site. And the real worry about that in the United States is that by doing this, Donald Trump may be violating First Amendment uh, rights to free speech. The companies don't have to allow entirely free speech because they're private platforms. It's not like going out and on the Boston Common or something and and giving a, a speech about what you think about Donald Trump. But rather, it is um, it is something that uh, they regulate, but they themselves have free speech rights. And um, it's just a big worry that he is doing this for his own political purposes. Because if there's any widespread voter fraud going on, it's actually done by the legislatures. They are the ones trying trying to suppress the vote uh, rather than anyone else. It's And I hate to say it, people say it's it's biased in some way, but it's like always a Republican state legislature or governor that is trying to suppress Democrat vote. That's basically, that's the truth of the matter. There is, for and having, again, covered this for a very long time, it is the case that there are incidents where people engage in fraud in voting. Right. OK, you might have people who are helping somebody, say, at a, a nursing home or a, a assisted living facility or something like that, uh, that they want, quote unquote, help, that they need, quote unquote, help with filling out their absentee ballot and they get pressured to do it a certain way. Or uh, somebody says that they are entitled to vote from an address where they don't live anymore. OK, like that stuff yeah. happens, but it just does not happen on a large scale. And so um, there is, to your point, arguably more activity in legislatures to suppress or to make it difficult for certain people to vote, particularly people who uh, are uh, not white, uh, people who don't have cars or don't have driver's licenses to present as a form of voter ID, uh, things like that. Uh, people who are forced to go through uh, various, uh, you know, hoops, jump through certain hoops to get uh, to exercise mm -hmm. their right to vote. Uh, so that that is uh, probably a bigger issue, frankly, than straight up voter fraud in the United States. Indeed. So let's get uh, to the coronavirus, of course. And we know that every country in the world uh, is racing for a cure or racing for a vaccine. However, even though, you know, Australian scientists are doing it in Britain, of course, in the US, they're all trying to find this vaccine. The uh, latest information from the US says that maybe half of them, half of Americans would get the vaccine, half of them aren't really interested in it. Now, you cannot have, in a situation like this, half the population vaccinated and half not vaccinated. You might as well not get it at all. 
Yeah, that's a real problem. I think that if you're looking at uh, the polling that just came out recently, that is true. About half of people said they would get the vaccine uh, if it comes out essentially right away, if there's a sort of a, a rush, as you say, to get this uh, vaccine available to the public. So um, about one in five, or that's about 20%, said they would refuse the vaccine. And then you have approximately 30% who aren't really sure. And some of those people say that uh, they're concerned about a vaccine that is rushed to market, that hasn't gone through the very long, protracted, rigorous procedure of approvals and of testing and of seeing how it affects people. Um, you know, they're afraid that what if they get this brand new vaccine and there are side effects that don't really uh, surface until the vaccine has been in people's bodies for a year, two years, whatever it is. I think that these are people who fundamentally don't want to be uh, early adopters. But yeah, the idea of vaccinating half the people, I mean, do you get half the efficacy? Um, what happens to the people who are not vaccinated? Mm -hmm. um, this is not, I don't think, a case of, you know, we have in the United States, and I don't know how big this is in Australia, but the sort of anti-vaxxer movement, people who think vaccines uh, cause autism in children or that they're uh, in some cases like a government plot and that kind of thing. I think this is, in, in many cases in this particular study, this is people who are just afraid that something new might have bad results we won't see for a while. Mm. Hopefully it's a small percentage in Australia, but they are noisy from time to time. You know, in Australia we also have this thing, mostly when it's to do with politics, about does it pass the smell test? Does it smell pass the sniff test? That if it's if you smell anything, yeah, that doesn't smell right, then people just simply won't buy it, or they just won't accept it. And it's generally you know government policy or something. But on this occasion, the smell test might actually be a good thing. What is happening? And this is also to do with the coronavirus. Yeah, this is something that uh, is happening right here in Massachusetts, uh, Massachusetts General Hospital, Brigham Women's Hospital, and another place called Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital. What they're doing is they're pioneering a new test for uh, coronavirus that is based on your sense of smell. And what you would do is you would get this card uh, mailed to you, and then you download an app on your phone, and you sniff the card, and you answer a series of questions on your phone or on your computer about um, your sense of smell and taste, because losing your sense of smell and taste are often early reported symptoms of COVID-19. And so this is as everybody is struggling to get testing and to see that people can get access to, to testing. Um, this is a big part of opening up, of course, is figuring out who might be carrying the virus, even if they are asymptomatic, not feeling sick at all. Um, and, and making sure that those people get uh, care or stay away from other people who are healthy. And so this is something that's being done uh, right here where I'm speaking to from that might be a way for people to get like an early awareness, early um, early results in a different way than um, the swab test that they're doing right now uh, on a lot of people. Just so there, we can explore every possible avenue yeah. to uh, to keeping people um, away from this virus or getting help for them, getting care for them if they do get it. We're already over six thousand five hundred people in Massachusetts alone that have died from COVID-19. And as you know, we are uh, in the United States have just passed 100,000 deaths yes. from COVID-19 that we know of 
that we know of. Uh, so anything that can help with testing capacity, I think, is a big deal. Remember, do you remember back in the 70s, I think it was mostly, or maybe it was into the 80s as well, they had these scratch and sniff things. Do you remember that? Oh, or, yeah. And Odorama, oh, sure, yeah. that movie in Odorama? The, uh, oh, you didn't collect them. I collected the stickers. There were scratch and sniff stickers were a big thing in the in the United States. So, you know, you would have them and they would smell like strawberries or bananas yeah. or bubblegum or gasoline, some of the odd ones. <laughs> but, yeah, so your sense of smell and taste is one of the first things to get screwed oh, up or to get, uh, you know, to get affected by COVID-19. So this is one way to come at it that's completely, obviously, non-invasive that you can do remotely. Yeah. You don't have to go into a, a doctor's office or a hospital. So, uh, you know, it's still it's still brand new, but anything that can help. I think people are really desperate for ways to control this thing because it's going to be around for a while. You know, um, you talk about you know whether people are asymptomatic and they just they probably had it and didn't even know. This is the amazing thing, isn't it? That tens of thousands of people more than actually realised have had coronavirus. Yes, you. Yeah, I mean, we know about the people who've gone to hospital. We know the the people who've stayed at home and hopefully have recovered as well. We know about those 100,000 people who died, but of course far more of them uh, you'd think would die. We just didn't know that they died of coronavirus. But there's an extraordinary number of people that had it and just didn't even know. Yeah, that's a that's a real problem. And talking about, uh, even with you just now, talking about uh, infections and deaths and so on, the numbers might be skewed because we don't know uh, how many people have been infected? People might not have known to get tested. People might not have had access to testing. Um, I'm doing a, a radio series myself for WBAI in New York where I interviewed uh, a woman who got uh exceptionally sick who thought her lungs were collapsing and she was completely floored as was her wife uh, and they could not get access at that time to testing it just was not widely available and uh, you know it's possible that to this day they still don't know if they even had COVID-19. Uh, we also don't know if having the virus provides you with long-standing or what protections uh, for having it again in the future. Yes. It's not like uh, when I was a kid and had chickenpox and then you were done with chickenpox and that mm -hmm. was great. Um, so, yeah, the idea that we're working with numbers that might be very, very underreported. Uh, I myself and my husband, we were, we've been looking into where can we go to get testing. We wanted to know yes. uh, if we had been exposed. Um, and so far, there just does not seem to be uh, a readily available, uh, easy option for us to go and get those tests. I understand the tests are being saved for people who are symptomatic or Indeed. people who are in high exposure situations, but uh, it, we're just not there yet. I'm sure that when we talk again in a couple of weeks, uh, there will be more issues to do with COVID-19 to discuss. But until then, Celeste, stay well, and we will talk to you again then. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Celeste Katz, in Boston, in the United States.